is Zombie Chickens Podcast, where two heads are better than one, even if they're undead. My name is Megan. And my name is Marinay. And in this episode, we are talking about folklore in Japan. Yes. Okay, so yeah, we decided because um, this month is our folklore month and both Marne and I love the culture in Japan and we love... The language. The language as well. Yeah, so we chose Japan as one of the countries. Also, I feel like Japan has so, so many folklore. It's difficult. It's... it's there's so many. When researching this, I, I always knew there was a lot. But with researching this, it was, it's just insane how crazy I know it, I how mean, many there is. Yes, because if you think about... Um, it, it's funny because if you read about something, um, not something, but history, the history and the bloodline of the, um, the families, mm. it literally traces back to mythology later yes. on. No, it is, it is really, and the thing is, their folklore isn't also, like, it's been there for years, for like, exactly. from 10th century to however many years ago, mm. where, like, with a country with South, like South Africa, because we, we actually not, we, we're not, our country isn't that old compared to what Japan, culture-wise, culture so the problem is Africa is seen as the birth of the Homo sapiens. Yes. So we have a lot of um, evidence of life and that exactly with with all the um, cave paintings yes. and drawings and but you know f the, the the findings that they get about you know the the simple implements that they use they use there. But the we we, we don't have an old. Um, like folklore we don't have, that's like actual history <laughs> mm. like it's not there's no stories yeah so all that is not based on folklore it's it's actual history it's not mm. stories that change throughout the years like with japan some of them probably started with actual facts and then throughout the years it started becoming folklore mm. and mythology yeah, so Marana will start us off with a. Oh, each of us are going to do two uh, folklores each, as we did with the previous. As we uh, did with the previous episode. Mm -hmm. So if you have not listened to that one, that one is the South African version. So please do go give it a mm, listen. So that's very close to home for us. That well, episode, <laughs> it is in close to home. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we did you know our regions basically. Basically, but, but any case with this one. It's Kachikachiyama, and it's an onomatopoeia, oh, I hate that word. Onomatopoeia. Yeah, of the sound of fire makes, and yama meaning mountain. So roughly it translates to fire crackle mountain. Yes. And the story is um, about a farmer and a badger. But they, they translate it to badger, but mainly it's a tanuki, which is a Japanese raccoon dog. And he's the villain in the story. But the story goes, Long, long ago, there lived an old farmer and his wife who had made their home in the mountains, far from any town. Their only neighbor 
was a bad and malicious badger. This badger used to come out every night and run across the farmer's field and spoil the vegetables and the rice which the farmer spent his time in carefully cultivating. The badger at last grew so ruthless in his, his mischievous work and did so much harm everywhere on the farm that the good-natured farmer could not stand it any longer and determined to put a stop to it. He lay and wait day and night with a big club hoping to catch the badger. But in vain, he was not successful. He then laid traps for the wicked animal. The farmer's trouble and patience was rewarded. For one fine day on going his rounds, he found the badger caught in a hole he had dug for that purpose. The farmer was delighted at having caught his enemy and carried him home securely bound with rope. When he reached the house, the farmer said to his wife, I have at last caught the bad badger. You must keep an eye on, on him while I am out at work and not let him escape because I want to make him into soup tonight. Saying this, he hung the badger up to the rafters of his storehouse and went out to work in his fields. The badger was in great distress, for he did not at all like the idea of being made into soup that night, and he thought and thought for a long time, trying to hit upon some plan which he might escape. It was hard to think clearly in this uncomfortable position, so he had been hung upside down. Very near him, at the entrance of the storehouse, Looking out towards the green fields and the trees and the pleasant sunshine, stood the farmer's old wife, pounding barley. She looked tired and old. Her face was seamed with many wrinkles, and she had brown, and she was brown as leather. And every now and then, she stopped to wipe the perspiration which rolled down her face. "Dear lady," said the wily badger, "you must be very weary doing such heavy work in your old age. Won't you let me do that for you? My arms are very strong, and I would re relieve you." For a little while. Thank you for your kindness, said the old woman, but I cannot let you do this work for me because I'm, I must not untie you, for you might escape if I did and my husband would be very angry if, if he came home and find you gone. Now the badger is one of the most cunning animals and he said again in a very sad gentle voice, you are very unkind, you might untie me for I promise not to try to escape. If you are afraid of your husband, I will let you bind me again before his return and I, and I finish the pounding of the barley. I am so tired and sore tied up like this. If you would only knit me down for a few minutes, I would be indeed be thankful. The old woman had good and simple nature and could not think badly of anyone. Much less did she think that the badger was only deceiving her in order to get away. She felt sorry too for the animal as she turned to look at him. He looked so much a sad plight hanging downwards from the ceiling by his legs, which were all tied together so tightly that the rope and knots were cutting into his skin. So, in the kindness of her heart, she believed the creature's promise that he would not run away. She untied the cord and let him down. The old woman then gave him the wooden pestle and told him to do the work for a short time while she rested. He took the pestle, but instead of doing the work as she, he was told, the badger at once sprang upon the old woman and knocked her down with a heavy piece of wood. He then killed her and cut her up and made soup of her, and waited for the return of the old farmer. The old man worked hard in his fields all day, and as he worked he thought with pleasure that no more now would his labour be spoiled by the destructive badger. Towards sunset he left his work and turned to go home. He was very tired, and he thought of the nice supper of hot badger soup waiting for his return. He thought that the badger might get free and take revenge on the poor woman who never once came into his mind. The badger, meanwhile, assumed the old woman's form, and as soon as he saw the old farmer approaching, came out to greet him, greet him on the veranda of the little house. So just to uh, clear that as well, that's not something that they mention in the story, is that 
the raccoons normally are uh, shapeshifters. So they mm. can uh, take a form of any any person or yeah. anything. It's actually in one of the Studio Ghibli movies. It's a weird movie. I did not like it. I think that that's the only Studio Ghibli movie I don't like. <laughs> but in any case, the badger said to the farmer, So you came home back at last. I've made the badger soup and have been waiting for you for a long time. The old farmer quickly took off his straw sandals and sat down before his tiny dinner tray. The innocent man never even dreamed that it, would, that it was not his wife, but the badger who was waiting upon him and asked at once for the soup. When the badger suddenly transformed himself back into his natural form and cried out, Your wife eating old man, look at the bones in the kitchen. Laughing loudly and derisively, he escaped out of the house and ran away to his den in the hills. The old man was left behind alone. He could hardly believe what had been, what had been seen and heard. Then, when he understood the whole truth, he was so scared and horrified that he fainted right away. After a while, he came around and burst into tears. He cried loudly and bitterly. He rocked himself to and fro in his hopeless grief. It seemed too terrible to be real that his faithful old wife had been killed and cooked by the badger while he was working quietly in the fields, knowing nothing of what was going on at home, and congratulating himself on having once and for all got rid of the wicked animal who had so often spoiled his fields. And oh, the horrible thought, he had very nearly drunk the soup which the creature had made of his poor old woman. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, he wailed aloud. Now, not far away, where they lived in the same mountain, a kind, good-natured old rabbit. He heard the old man crying and sobbing, and at once set out to see what was the matter, and, there was, and if there was anything he could do to help his neighbor. The old man told him all that had happened. When the rabbit heard the story, he was very angry at the wicked and deceitful badger, and told the old man to leave everything to him and he would revenge his wife's death. The farmer was at last comforted, and wiping away his tears, thanked the rabbit for his goodness in coming to him in his distress. The rabbit, seeing that the farmer was growing calmer, went back to his home to lay his plans for the punishment for the badger. The next day, the weather was fine, and the rabbit went out to find the badger. He was not to be seen in the woods, or on the hillside, or in the fields anywhere. So the rabbit went to his den and found the badger hiding there, for the animal had been afraid to, start to show himself ever since he had escaped from the farmer's house, for fear of the old man's wrath. The rabbit called out, why are, why are you not out on such a beautiful day? Come out with me. We'll go and cut grass on the hills together. The badger, never doubting about, but that the rabbit was his friend, willingly consented to go out with him. Only too glad to get away from the neighborhood of the farmer, and the fear of meeting him. The rabbit led the way miles away from their home, out on the hills where the grass grew tall and thick and sweet. They both set to work to cut down as much as they could carry home, to store it up in the win for the winter's food. When they had each cut down all they wanted, they tied it to a bundles and then started homewards, each carrying his bundle of grass on his back. This time the rabbit made the badger go first. When they had gone a little way, the rabbit took out a flint and steel, and striking it over the badger's back, he stepped along in front to set his bundle of grass on fire. The badger heard the flint striking and asked, What's that noise? Crack, crack. Oh, that is nothing, replied the rabbit. I only said crack, crack because the mountain is called Crackling Mountain. The fire soon spread on the bundle of dry grass on the badger's back. The badger, hearing the crackle and burning grass, asked, What's that? Now we have come to the burning mountain asked the rabbit. By this time the bundle was nearly burned out and all the hair had been burned off the badger's back. 
he now knew that what had happened by the smell of the smoke of the burning grass. Screaming with pain, the badger ran as fast as he could to his hole. The rabbit followed and found him lying on the bed, groaning with pain. What an unlucky fellow you are, said the rabbit. I can't imagine how this happened. I will bring you some medicine which will heal your back quickly. The rabbit went away, glad and smiling to think that the punishment upon the badger had already begun. He hoped that the badger would lie, die of his burns, and felt that nothing could be too bad for the animal who was guilty of murdering the poor helpless old woman who had trusted him. He went home and made an ointment by mixing some sauce and red pepper together. He carried this to the badger, but before putting it on, he told him that he could, he would cause, it would cause him great pain. But he must bear it patiently because it, it was a very wonderful medicine, medicine for burns and scalds and such wounds. The badger thanked him and begged him to apply it at once. But no language can describe the agony of the badger as soon as the red pepper had been pasted all over his sore back. He rolled over and over and howled loudly. The rabbit, looking on, felt that the farmer's wife was beginning to be avenged. The badger was in bed for about a month, but at last, in spite of the red pepper application, his burns healed and he got well. When the rabbit saw that the badger was getting well, he thought of another plan for which he would compass the creature's death. So he went on one day to pay the badger a visit and to congratulate him on his recovery. During the conversation, the rabbit mentioned that he was going fishing and described how pleasant fishing was when the weather was fine and the sea smooth. The badger listening with pleasure to the rabbit's account of the way he passed his time now and forgot all his pains and his month's illness and thought what fun it would be if he could go fishing too. So he asked the rabbit if he would take him the next time he went out to fish. This was just what the rabbit wanted to, to hear, so he agreed. Then he went home and built two boats, one of wood and the other of clay. At last they were both finished, and as the rabbit stood and looked at his work, he felt that all his trouble would be well rewarded if his plan succeeded, and he could manage to kill the wicked badger now. The day came when the rabbit had arranged to take the badger fishing. He kept the wooden boat to himself and gave the badger the clay boat. The badger, who knew nothing about boats, was delighted to find his new boat and thought how kind it was for the rabbit to give it to him. They both got into their boat and set out. After going some distance from the shore, the rabbit proposed that they would try their boats to see which one could go the quickest. The badger fell in with the proposal and they both set to work to row as fast as they could for, the same t for some time. In the middle of the race, the badger found his boat going to pieces, for the water now began to soften the clay. He cried out in great fear. To the rabbit to help him but the rabbit answered that he was avenging the old woman's murder and that this had been his intention all along and that he was happy to think that the badger had at last met his deserts for all his evil crimes and was to drown for no one to help him he then raised his oar and struck the badger with all his strength till he fell with the sinking clay boat and was seen no more thus at last he kept his promise to the old farmer farmer the rabbit now turned and rode shorts and having landed and pulled his boat upon the beach hurried back to tell the old farmer everything and now the badger his enemy had been killed the old farmer thanked him with tears in his eyes he said till now he could never sleep at night or be at peace in daytime thinking about how his wife's death was unavenged but from this time he would be able to sleep and eat as, as of old he begged the rabbit to stay with him and share his home so from this day the rabbit went to stay with the old farmer and they both li lived together as good friends to the end of their days. Weird fucking story. Weird fucking story.
I did find with most of the folklore in Japan, a lot of it um, contains about like cannibalism. A lot, eh? So many contains flesh eating something with or a human eating human. Yes, I mean a lot of cannibalism. Th- this one, okay, was not intentional. Intentional, but it, 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 but even like a lot of them aren't necessarily intentional, but it does contain like mentions of. I wonder if it's like a not a fetish, but like a a fetish maybe for them to to try human flesh. I don't know because there that are would... stories of certain cultures that do some sort of ritualistic cannibalism. Yeah. Obviously, something that did go through times where, if you look through history, so it it might be like, a, what do you call it, attached to something that happened during history in Japan. Mm. That's why cannibalism is so mentioned so many times in folklore. So it would actually be really interesting to research that and see why it is such an impact in, um, or such so prominent in folklore. I know for a fact there's a, um, I think it's, I'm talking, I'm, I'm not deadly sure where specifically, I think it's some of the Samoan cultures um, where they, when there's, they don't have any food and they're on the brink of starvation, they would kill the old ladies hmm. and they would eat them because they, they can't contribute to, 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 to the this, tribe. To the tribe, yeah. And there are some tribes where they would kill, um, not kill, after the person have died and they've burned the body, they would take the ashes and sort of consume it in that way. That always reminds me of that movie, what was it? Um, was it hung- Was it Hangover? No, I don't think it was Hangover. No, it wasn't, because it was Robert Downey Jr. and the dude that plays Due him. date. Due date, where he drinks his father's uh, ashes and thinks it's coffee. <laughs> no, it was Robert Downey Jr. that made coffee. Didn't he make coffee with his dad's ashes? The, the guy's ashes? I think it was the guy that did it himself. Like, he drank his... And then he, he did it on accident, and he did it, then he did it on purpose. And then... On purpose, but by accident. The problem with, 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 with cannibalism, and it's been with a lot of podcasts that I was listening about, um, it's difficult to actually prove it. What do you mean? Oh, historically to prove it. Oh, mm. uh, okay. Yeah, it is, because there's no evidence. Like, uh, How can you prove it? Yeah. And it's the it's same with... stories and... It's the same with, you know, a lot of um, murderers that became cannibalistic it's difficult to prove i mean it could mean that they were cutting up the the meat to eat but the times when they were caught it's not it's not like they were busy eating yeah they weren't physically caught while eating Mm. whilst eating human flesh Mm. it was either they came in and there was meat busy being cut and or cooked cooked, Mm. and then they assumed that he ate it because if you already ate something an hour ago, it's going to be basically in your in your system. Yeah, and the so thing is, that, no, but not just that. They don't taste 
people that's alive to see what they ate. Mm. They test victims that is dead mm-hmm. to see what they had. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going to perform a, a test. Stool uh, yeah, perform a test on you and say, sorry, I need to see if you ate human flesh. Like, uh-huh. it's... Uh, yeah. And it's not... It's still, It's just meat. So you can't even check... You can't distinguish what meat it is. Exactly. It's so like, I assume it will be, be a lot like pork. Yeah, because... We eat everything like pigs do. pigs do. Good thing I don't like pork. <laughs> That's a good yeah. Um, let's good way to cool. solve this, this, this story. <laughs> Cannibalism. Mm. Okay, so mine is a folklore that turned into an urban legend. So it is quite well known, well known in today's time period, mm. and in internationally as well. Like the one that you told is more of a Japanese folklore that people in Japan usually know. Mm. Uh, where this one is quite no, quite popular in all of the world because it got internet claim multiple times throughout the years. Oh, is it? Yes, uh, especially on like Reddit and all those, um, no, those horror Apple. posts and those things. Um, so mine is about the slit-mouthed woman. It is a very well-known. Yes, but I'll I'll give you the first what it is about. So it's a woman wearing a face mask asks a passing child, "Am I pretty?" If the frightened youngster says she is, she asks even like this and removes her mask to reveal a face slit from the corners of her mouth to each ear. No matter the age, almost everyone in Japan has heard the story of the Kuchisake Una, uh, or slit-mouthed woman. So, Kuchi means mouth, and I'm guessing sake means slit, because Una is obviously woman. Anyway, so, and it has become increasingly well-known around the world. The Kuchisake Una must be the first purely Japanese urban legend, says... Likura Yoshiyuki, a Kokugakuyen, a university associate professor who researches oral literature. But how do such stories emerge and develop? Ikura offers one theory of origin for this peculiar legend. Around the end of 1978, a rumor circulated that an old woman in a farming family in the town of Yaochu in Gifu Prefecture spotted a woman with the now notorious slit mouth standing in the corner of the garden. The local newspaper printed an article about the story and the legend spread and grew through repetition among the children of the area. There were all these different variations, like they might say that she wore a mask or a red coat or that she carried a sickle or they'd say that she could run a hundred meters in six seconds that she hated hair pomade, or that if you gave her bekoame, hard candy, um, then you get could get away. Six months later, the rumor had spread nationwide. This was a time where the number of children going to cram schools was increasing. Before it was rare for rumors to cross over to another school district, but cram schools brought children from different areas together and they took the stories they heard about other schools to share them at their own. 
as they pass them on further to relatives and other contacts by telephone and so on. Other newspapers and television stations picked up the story. As well as being a scary tale for children, the Kuchi Sake Ona represented the kind of characters they might encounter. Cram school started in the evening, and when they ended, children came out in groups onto the night streets. They saw adults that they had never seen before, like women going, women going out to their nightlife entertainment jobs or drunks on their way home from the bars. As Ikura notes, this boosted anxiety among the young students about the possible presence of people who could hurt them, an anxiety projected in the Kuchisake Ona. At first, teachers and parents were also worried, conducting patrols and arranging for children to return home in groups. The rumours died down around the start of the summer holidays in 1979, but the powerful image of the slit-mouthed woman lingered in everyone's memories, establishing itself as another monstrous figure. When the Kuchisake Ona legend spread in the late 1970s, the Japanese economy was changing as households across the country acquired the basic elements of urban cultural life, televisions, cars and telephones. The term urban legend came to Japan via a 1988 translation of American folklorist Jan Harold Brunfant's 1981 book The Vanishing Hitchhiker. The up-and-coming Japanese researchers who conducted the translation are said to have wanted to overturn the idea in the academic world that oral literature meant only old tales and legends and to open up the possibility of investigating the gossip and rumours of this contemporary city. But I read somewhere that mm. if you were to meet her and she asks you, do I look pretty? And you say yes. And she removes her mask and uh, she asks again, you know, do I look pretty? And you are you, supposed to say um, you, she you looks look average. O- you look average or okay, yeah. And then she would leave There's you. There's so many different variations. But, yeah, because if you say yes, then she cuts your mouth as well. And, to and look if you like say hers. no, she kills you. She kills you. Yeah, a lot of people say you have to stay neutral and not say... Not give an I I think there was also a rumor that, or also a part of the story, variations of the story, where if you don't give an answer and you ignore her, she drags you stra- straight to hell. I've I've read something like that. As yeah. Well. So there's so many different variations, and obviously that's from years and years spreading from one town to another town, and spreading from one city to another city, and from one country to another country, and throughout exactly. it, it just completely escalated and so many people added stories so it's never to know you don't really necessarily know the real story behind it yeah that's the thing about it yeah because you you put a something with it every time you retell a story exactly and it's also the way you tell it Hmm. so some people might put emphasis on certain parts of the story and others apparently yeah and and apparently yes and then because you put emphasis on a certain part of the story, another person will maybe just remember that part and go tell it. But then exactly. they put, like, oh, but I think there was something like this and this and this as well. And then... It, and it's also your yeah. interpretation of what the person said. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's quite scary. So remember, when you see a lady with a slit mouth, just so oh, she no, looks well, average. No, no it's, 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 everyone says nowadays that it, she wears a mask, but that was before 
the current situation in the world so imagine now it's just weird because now random people will come talk to you with a mask on well if they do talk to you then tell them to keep their distance but um yeah now it's just oh maybe i should do that to scare people just go up to them do i look pretty (laughs) to the five people that listen to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh my word that's funny (laughs) damn okay so my next story is the tale of oiwa so oiwa's story is based on real life events that's quite scary okay which took place in the 17th century Edo. Mm-hmm. So the real Oiwa died in 1636. It, it was rumored that her on-ryo still haunts the place where she lives, as well as those who perform her story. Mysterious disasters and deaths occurred around a number of productions, including theater, film, and television adaptations, have been blamed on, on the curse of Oiwa's ghost. There have been numerous attempts to appease the angry ghost. A small shrine and temple dedicated to Oiwa were erected on the ruins of her family's house in Yotsuya. After a fire destroyed the shrine in 1879, Oiwa's shrine was moved to another part of Tokyo. The shrine was again destroyed in the fire bombings of World War II. After the war, a new shrine as well as the original location of Yotsuya were both rebuilt. A gravestone at Mayogyoji. Megan, read there. Uh, Mayogyoji. Mayogyoji. In Tsugamo. <laughs> Tokyo is widely believed to be Oya's actual grave. It is customary to act for actors to and crew putting on a production of Yotsuya Kaidan to visit Oya's grave to pay their respects. Oya was married to samurai, a samurai named Imon. It was not a happy marriage, for Imon was a wasteful man and a thief. One day, Oiwa decided to leave her husband and, and return to her family home. Imon followed after her, but was stopped by Iwa's father, Yotsuya Samon. Samon knew of Imon's misdeeds, and that he had stolen money from his employer, and he demanded that Imon divorce Oiwa. Imon drew his sword and murdered Samon. Imon returned to Oiwa and lied that a stranger had killed her father on the road. He begged her to reconcile and promised to avenge her father's murder. Some time after that, Oya became pregnant and bore Imon a son. Times were hard. They had little money. Oya became sickly after giving birth and Imon grew resentful of Oiwa. Next to the home lived a rich doctor named Ito Kihei. He had a beautiful granddaughter named Ome. Ome was instantly attracted to Imon and wanted to marry him. The doctor loved his granddaughter and conspired to help her marry Imon. He prescribed an ointment for Oiwa to help her recover from a sickness. In reality, it was a poison which horribly disfigured her face. Seeing Oiwa's scarred face, resentment turned into hatred. Afterwards, Kihei suggested that Imon divorce Oiwa and marry his granddaughter instead. If he, if he were to marry Ome, all of the wealth of the Ito family could be his to inherit. Imon was so disgusted by Oiwa's face and Ome was so young and attractive that he agreed. Imon began pawning Oiwa's possessions, her kimono, her clothes, even her son's clothes, to have money, enough money to marry Ome. Because he needed a legitimate reason to divorce his wife, 
Iman hired his friend Takuyetsu to rape Oiva so that he could accuse her of infidelity. On a prearranged night, when Iman was out of the house, Takuyetsu entered and approached Oiva. Upon seeing her face, he was so frightened that he abandoned his orders. Takuyetsu explained Iman's plans to Oiva and then sh showed her a mirror. Oiva had not known that the ointment had done to her face. When she saw a reflection, she was horrified. She tried to cover the disfigurement by brushing her hair, her hair over it, but when she touched the hair, it fell out in large bloody clumps. Oiva went mad. She grabbed a nearby sword and punctured her own, uh, own throat. As Oiva lay on the floor bleeding to death, she repeatedly cursed Emon's name until she could breathe no more. Oiva's body was discovered by Emon's servant, Koei. When Koei delivered the news to Emon, instead of becoming upset, Emon was overjoyed. Koei became suspicious of Imon, but before he could do anything, Imon murdered Koei. He nailed Koei and Oiwa's bodies to a door and disposed of them in the river. Afterwards, he, he made up a lie that Koei and Oiva had been sleeping together. He was finally free to marry Ome. Oiwa's curse did not wait long to take effect. On his wedding night with Ome, Imon had trouble sleeping. He rolled over in bed and saw right next to his face the horrible disfigured face of Oiwa's ghost. He grabbed his sword and slashed out at the ghost. Just then the illusion ended and Imon saw, but it was not Oiwa he had cut, but Ome. His new bride lay dead on the floor. Terrified, Imon ran next door to seek his new father-in-law's help. However, when he got to Ito's house, he was confronted by the ghost of the murdered Koei. Once again, Imon slashed with his sword, but no sooner had he done so than the illusion ended and he saw Ito Kihei's slain body lying on the floor. Afterwards, Imon fled into the night, but Oiwa's Onryo pursued him. Onryo is a, uh, a, not a ghost, but a spirit, an evil spirit. Mm -hmm. Everywhere he went, Oiwa's ghost was there. Her ruined face haunted his dreams. Her uh, terrible voice cried out to him for vengeance. She even appeared to him in the paper lanterns that led this way. Eventually, Imon ran into the mountains where he hid in an isolated cabin, but Oiwa followed him there too. Haunted by Oiwa's ghost, no longer able to tell nightmare from reality, Imon descended into madness. I think that's better. Don't kill someone. Make them mad. <laughs> yeah. Take away their sanity. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, Fun story. That, that is a very interesting story. <laughs> Don't trust anyone with an ointment. Yes. There's a, a lot of um, the Japanese folklore is also about betrayal. Mm. It's just funny that it's samurai. Because samurai are supposed to be these very noble men. Yeah. But I guess you have your black sheep in all your yeah, I stories. Think, yeah. I think it did say that he's a type without... He's I did a samurai without, without a title. Without a title, yeah. I read... In one of the stories as well, he was a samurai without a title, which does give you the indication that he obviously did something to lose his title. Mm. But the thing is, shouldn't you then fall on your own sword if you if you were to lose your title? Because that's more of a um, he's probably too proud. dishonor. He's probably too proud. Probably. That you perform the ritual where you cut open your stomach and then... You cut off your... your um... Oh, your, your hair. Hmm. Your... I'm thinking of 47 Ronin, because that's very Japanese. 
because what they did was they um, they didn't follow they didn't follow the instructions that the emperor gave them, mm. and for that they were sentenced to a samurai killing, which is to fall to fall on your own sword basically, and they had to cut off their little bola. Their little hair, their little bun. Yeah, the little bun they have on the head. They had to cut that off, and with the same sword, um, they had to pierce, pierce yourself. But pierce their own um, part. I don't know enough about it to say if it's that's actually how it happens because it is a movie. But I think mm. it is very. I'm not sure. I can't say it's very accurate because I don't. I don't. Firstly, I've never seen the movie, and secondly, I don't know. It's a really good movie. I Keanu heard Reeves. it's a really good book. Keanu Reeves is amazing. But yeah. I heard it was a really good book. I, I think that's how they, if I remember from reading a if little bit. If you dishonor. Yeah. It's, it's, you are literally, um, if you're lucky enough mm-hmm. and you lose your samurai um, title. Not just that. If you're lucky enough and you don't have to fall on your own sword, you are disbanded and to live in exile. Okay. Basically. Mm. It's just an interesting story because I thought he would have had to kill himself. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know if they should kill themselves or I don't know how that works. I think yeah. If I remember, I'm, I'm, I'm not one hundred percent sure. Um, I think it depends on the situation. Yeah. So your next story. My next story is the tale of the bamboo cutter. So the tale of the bamboo cutter is considered the oldest surviving monogatari. Monogatari is basically a fictional prose narrative. It means is a literary form, literary form in traditional Japanese literature, an extended prose, 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 prose narrative tale comparable to the epic novel. So it's monogatari is closely tied to aspects of the oral tradition and almost always. Re- relates to a fiction or fictionalized story even when retelling a historical event. Hmm. Okay. So that's what it is. Though its exact date oh okay. So the bamboo the tale of the bamboo cut is considered the oldest surviving monogatari, though it it is ex- its exact date com- of composition is unknown. A poem in the Yamato Monogatari a 10th century work that describes life in the imperial court invokes the tale in reference to a moon viewing party held at the palace in 909. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so a moon viewing party. Yeah. Interesting. A mention of smoke rising from Mount Fuji in the tale of the bamboo cutter suggests that the vo- volcano was still active at the time of its composition. The Kokin Wakashu indicates that the mountain had stopped emitting smoke by 905. Other re- evidence suggests that the late the tale was written between 871 and 881. Good lord. Uh, the author of the tale of the bamboo cut is also unknown. That is um, mostly what you need to know. So the plot is. The characters are Taketori no Akina, an old man, and his wife Ona, an old woman. (laughs) And the Okina makes a living by creating various things with the bamboo he cuts. One day when Taketori no 
Okina goes to a bamboo thicket. He sees a bamboo whose base is shining, wondering what it is. He cuts the bamboo and finds a lovely girl about three inches tall in there. So he decides to bring her up as their child. After that, he finds gold in bamboos every day and the couple became rich, become rich. The child whom the Akina has found grows bigger and bigger and reaches adolescence in three months. She becomes an incredibly beautiful lady so, and someone is called to give her a name. The person names her Nayotake, pliable bamboo, no Kaguyahime. On this occasion, many people, both men and women, gather to celebrate for three days. Both noble and vulgar men all try to marry Princess Kaguya. Many young court nobles who try to take a peek at her constantly come and surround the residence of Taketori no Okina, spending their time around it. Before long, those who are not enthusiastic stop visiting. Five young court nobles who are said to be lecherous remain and they keep visiting his house day and night. These five young court nobles are as follows. Prince Ishizukuri, Prince Kurumamochi, Minister of the Right Abe no Miyoshi, Dainagun, Chief Counselor of State Otomo no Miyuki, and Chunagun, Vice Counselor of State Iso no Kami no Maro. The Akina, who realizes that these men won't give up, tells Princess Kaguyan that women should marry men. You should choose one from them. Then Princess Kaguya says, please tell them that I would like to marry the man who will bring me something I want. When night comes, the five men gather. The Okina tells them what Princess Kaguya wants. She asks Prince Ishizukuri to bring the stone begging bowl used by Buddha. Prince Kuruma Mochi, a bunch of tree with jeweled fruit from Pengulai, the legendary Isle of the Immortals, Minister of the Right, Abenoi Miyushi, a robe made from fire rat, Dainagon, Otomo no Miyuki, a gemstone from a dragon's head, Chunagon, Isono Kami no Maro, one of the easy birth shells sub supposedly possessed by swallows. All of them are legendary rare treasures, treasures and difficult to get. Ishizukuri takes an ordinary bowl which is re revealed to be a fake. Kurumamochi has a craftsman make an imitation which also is also revealed because the craftsman shows up. What Abe has brought is supposed not to burn but actually does. Otomo gives up bringing the treasure because of the storm. Isono Kami dies because he tries to take the shell climbing up the roof of a shed on which a big pot called Oyoshima of the Oirio, a part of the imperial household, is set. In the end, nobody succeeds. Mikado, the emperor, hears about what is going on and he wants to see her. The Okina tries to arrange the meeting, but she refuses it and she makes the Mikado give up on her too. Disappearing from his sight, although she has only been seen by him once, however, she comes to exchange waka poems with him. Three years have passed since she started to exchange poems with the Mikado, and the princess and Princess Kaguya comes to be lost in deep thought whenever she looks at the moon. 
As a full moon of August comes near, she is often crying bitterly. So the Okina asks her why, and she replies, I'm not from this planet, but from the moon, and I have to return to it on the 15th. The Mikado discovers this and sends brave troops. On the day, around midnight, somebody comes from the sky, but the troops, the Okina and Ona, can't resist. When Princess Kaguya leaves, she presents the Mikado, the elixir of life, a feathered robe worn by heavenly beings and a letter. However, Mikado orders to burn them at the highest mountain in Japan, which is in Suruga province. Since then, the mountain is called Fushi no Yama, literally a mountain of immortal, later called Mount Fuji, and smoke comes to rise from the mountain. I think Studio Ghibli actually made a movie. There is a lot of... Because um, when you read it, 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 it sounds very familiar. Me. Yeah, there's a lot of um, stories that actually use this as... Um, a base. A base. That is why mm. it's such a... Um, because it's such an old tale. Mm. Um, they actually say... Yeah, Modern adaptations, Princess from the Moon, a live-action Japanese film, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, anime film, Studio Ghibli, that's uh -huh. one, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, Queen Millennia, um, mangas, there's a lot of mangas, um, television series, there's even an American theatrical opera in 1992. <laughs> Interesting. The newest one is in 2018, which is a manga and a 2020 anime series. Toniki, Tonikaku Kawaii. <laughs> Tonikaku Kawaii, okay. okay. Something cute. Yeah. Tonikaku. Kaku. Uh, the, the anime is known as Fly Me to the Moon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know, I know I've watched that movie. Also, Studio Ghibli. There's also a lot of stories, um, I can't remember what it was called, about the girl that's born from the peach or that comes from the peach. Also an old couple that doesn't have any children. Yeah. It's generally, obviously I think it is because it's meant to, I don't know, represent people that don't have children. Uh, kaku means anyway. It works as a to transition before concluding or making a summary statement for now please wait kawaii <laughs> <laughs> okay cool anyway cute that's basically what it means <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of modern adaptations um and like you said the studio ghibli one mm. which i've never seen i haven't seen a lot of the studio ghibli ones which Probably to your, I don't know, what do you call it? Disappointment? No, sadness? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, because I've you've seen basically everything. Almost. Almost. I haven't watched Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, I but do not want to watch no. it. I, um, I break my heart every day, so I don't need an anime to break my heart. And the one that well. I said about the raccoons, that's the one I literally couldn't finish because it was just, I just couldn't. <laughs> I just absolutely yeah. couldn't. A lot of these folklores and those things do get turned into mangas and anime and those things mm. because it's also such a prominent media 
outlet exactly, yeah. in Japan. Mm. So I think it is. It's also a good way to rip, like tell folklore mm. because. I think it's sort of easier to get across what the story means than a live action. Exactly. Because obviously you can do things with animation that you cannot do in real life. Mm. So in that aspect, I think it is a good way to actually show mm. your folklore. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that's probably it for today. That is for to- it for today. The next folktale or folklore that we will, we will be dis- discussing would be about Mexico. So I think that would be quite interesting. Yes. I feel like we should probably... It's not even enough. There's so many folklores. It's so difficult to actually choose one to, yeah, to, to actually, actually talk about. Definitely. And uh, it's especially because we only do two. Mm. We can do more, but our episodes is going to be so long. Mm. Um, because there's so many different ones, it is very difficult to decide which one to do. Exactly. Um, but if I, I would suggest if anyone is interested in folklore, go do research yourself and it is unique and interesting insight into a culture a, a culture and in see, history as well yes exactly because some of it is sort of history that turned into a folklore definitely and most i think most folklores are based on some sort some of sort of history mm. and obviously it morphed into to the fictional type fictional sort of category considering that throughout the years obviously tales change and people put spins on it and so on mm, no, and to make it more theatrical i would say mm. um, and also you know to to teach kids how to behave obviously mm, definitely i think it's it's obviously most folklore are basically to tell you about morals and mm. how to act and how not to act definitely um, but they do it in such a weird way that you don't always get the lesson behind it. Mm. Um, especially like nowadays, if you look back and you read about it, you're like, what's the story what's behind, the story it? behind mm. it? And especially doing um, foreign things, um, foreign meaning adaptations from a different language to English, you you sort of lose some of the story because and interpretation yeah because and not just that yeah. also i mean different cultures varies different morals definitely definitely that is very true so that's why we find it weird why but, we why they yeah. would have the story i mean if mm-hmm. you think about it's something silly but if you think about um i know a lot of countries find it weird that people whiten their teeth and wear braces because it's an aesthetic thing. But mm-hmm. we find it difficult. We find it weird when they do those, you know, like some of the people from Fiji and those that do facial tattooing. Mm. You know, those very and interesting. Scarring and exactly. yeah, scarring. Exactly. We find it weird, but for them, it's part of their culture. Yeah, definitely. And the woman wearing those um, the, ringed necklaces. Yes, that um, extends their necks. Mm. Weirdly enough, I actually saw a, a video or something on YouTube about this woman that actually has naturally very... She has a um, disorder, I think. She has something that um, makes her limbs really, really long. Mm. I think her neck is like seven inches. Jeez. Yeah. And all her limbs are really, her arms, her legs, her neck is extremely long. Hmm. So, um, 
and in that comment it actually said the woman that stretches the neck with the um wire with the wire they'll be very jealous hmm. because obviously they take years and pain to create that mm. extension and the thing is they can't remove it if they remove it their neck can't hold up itself i know it's weird because when it initially does it 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 your shoulders pushes down hmm. it doesn't elongate the neck it just it pushes, pushes your shoulders down your shoulders now where it gives, gives the, the impression illusion. of a yeah. long neck like see we find it weird but there is that's part of their culture mm. and same as like the the woman and the with the earlobes the earlobes and the lips and the lips the as well lips. the bottom lip but those are the men i think i think the women do it too do they do it too yeah mm. i don't know too much about it to say but yeah so all those things um, and obviously the big one female genital mutilation which oh, is a yes. major thing it's a major thing yeah that sadly still goes on till this day yeah I know in um, African nations, um, they when a woman starts going into puberty too young and their breast um, develops too early, they put heated stones on their breast mm. to stop, and it obviously mutilates their breast because mm. it's yeah because they say that if you have breasts at too young of an age, you gotta tempt the men, mm. so you shouldn't be sexual, you shouldn't look sexualized, you know. You shouldn't look sexual, mm. so they so they mm. do hot stones and burn the woman, the children's breasts. But yeah, so it's things like that that we don't necessarily find. Um, it's not normal in our eyes because it's not part of our culture. But it 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 comes to to the thing about whether um, what is morals exactly. What is culture and where is the bridge where's between the bridge between between this two and what is right and what is wrong? Yeah. It's it's a very 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 gray area and yeah, very extreme, difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, what we find what is wrong and what is right is told by us by someone. Exactly. Who's to say that that person that says this mm. is right and this is wrong? It's it's a difficult is, thing. I, yeah. We we had this discussion when I was still at university in philosophy class about culture and morals and it's. It's so difficult because there is no right answer because you come back to the thing about where do you morals. Morals, where did you grow you can't, up? You can't, you can't describe morals because you need to understand what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. And who can say, oh my word, no. That's, no it's, it's too much. It's, 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 it's a whole. It's too much. It's, it is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely not a time we have to start that conversation. No, we need years <laughs> for that, I yes, think. Yes, definitely. But um, that's it for today. Tune, mm. Like Marina said earlier, next week is going to be about Mexico. Mm. And um, stay tuned for that. Mm. Please follow us on all of our social medias. It will be linked in the description. As well as please support us on Patreon. It starts from only $1.50 a month. Currently, there is no benefits at the moment. It's just to support our channel. Mm. Um, as we grow, uh, we will add benefits to mm. each tier mm. and yeah that's that that's that cheers for years cheers for years